Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, I'd like to welcome Lauren Siavaco to our podcast today. This guy is a graduate of the Contemplative Psychotherapy Program in the Graduate Program, and he's also a really good friend of mine, so I'm really excited to have him here. Well, we're both alums of Naropa, and it just feels really nice to kind of support him, his journey, and i just like to welcome you here today. Yeah, thank you so much, David. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give us a little where you were before that? Kind of like tell us your journey to Naropa, who, yeah. you, who you are and all that. Yeah, for sure. Learn a little bit about you. I just, yeah, I want to name right off the bat. It feels like such a gift to be able to sit here with you and uh, yeah. and really talk about, you know, who I've been, where I've come, the process that got me to this point. I did my undergrad at Purdue University, did mm-hmm. it in psychology. At that time, I was studying psychology. I was working as a bartender, paying my way through college, you know, doing it part-time here and there. Um, really drawn to psychology, something about understanding the mind mm-hmm. and what made people tick, what made me tick was yeah. a big part of that process. I think the journey towards psychology started around 2008 okay. um, when I got... I got arrested for uh, actually a felony. It okay. was uh, like, okay. Yeah, I got arrested for actually punching a cop. And anybody listening out there, I highly Ooh. suggest not doing that. It was a, it was a drinking night, Ooh. which uh, which actually adds a lot to the story as it goes. Yeah, not many stories start like this. No, yeah, and, and I think it'll really explain to how I got to this point. Yeah, because as I was sitting in a jail cell at that time, mm-hmm. I was sitting there and I recognized if I didn't do something with my anger, mm-hmm. I was going to end up deader in jail. I yeah. mean. And I, like I said, I'd been studying psychology, but I was also studying sociology, philosophy, religion. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest thing happened as I sat in the jail cell, a quote that I remember reading from some Buddhist book popped into my head. Yeah. And it was nice. anger is like a hot stone. You want to throw it at somebody, but you get burned in the process. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something about yeah. when that popped into my head, it was the most true, the truest thing I'd ever heard about anger. And it came out Mm. of Buddhism. So when I got out of that jail cell, I started studying Buddhism. I mean, reading it hard. I started reading um, Brad Warner, Jack Kornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Mm -hmm. any Buddhist book that I could grab. Yeah. Hardcore Zen by Brad Warner was really that first touch of like, oh, this is what this is what I want. Yeah. But up until that point, it was a total intellectual pursuit. Mm -hmm. It was um, Buddhism was something outside of myself. It was a thought. Oh, those ideas are great. I love those. Yeah. They attract me. It's like seasoning almost. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't nutrients just yet. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I loved talking about. <laughs> yeah. But when it came to actually sitting down, that mm-hmm. just wasn't happening. <laughs> but I you know, I was as I was saying, I was you doing all this reading mm-hmm. and I was reading uh, Wise Heart by Jack Cornfield. Yeah. And I believe it's in the preface where he names something about a Naropa Institute. And oh, that little thing. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, what's this? <laughs> and so I started Googling and I found out, man, there's a school here in Boulder, Colorado yeah. where I can study Buddhism and psychology. And these mm. were like my two primary interests. Yeah. And the other thing that really attracted me 
was that the master's program of contemplative psychotherapy, mm-hmm. they make you go on meditation retreats. Mm, and I say yeah. make you go on because at that point in my life, when I was reading about this, I needed somebody to make me go sit down. Yeah. I needed something where it was a requirement. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly, you know, we're always making choices and this was a choice of mine, but I needed some kind of external system saying like, sit yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I applied to Naropa, got accepted, came out here and started the program. And I'd say that first meditation retreat we went on, and, and we do two-week mm. meditation retreats every semester. That's just yeah. part of our program. Is that the Breeze's Simplicity um, retreats? It, it, or is that The Maitri Space Awareness. The Maitri's, okay. Yeah. Yes. The Maitri retreats. And so the first day, now, <laughs> I thought that Naropa was going to stair-step me into meditation. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be like, oh, we're going to do 30 minutes here. We're going to do an hour here. <laughs> no, the first day on that retreat, we sat for seven hours. Oh, boy. <laughs> nice. So <laughs> my, first, my first meditation retreat ever, my first day, all I did for seven hours was fantasize about how the hell I could get off that mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's weird what the mind will do when it has to sit still. Talk about the wisdom of no escape, too, because mm-hmm. what I realized is there's no way off this mountain. I can't hitchhike out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'd say it was the second day that I realized never in my life had somebody offered me the opportunity mm. to sit yeah. with myself with no other obligations. Yeah. All I had to do was sit there. And so the second day, something something shifted. Something said, all right, mm. I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. And in that space... I began to actually, something shifted. Because up until that point, Mm -hmm. every time I had seen space, I felt it immediately. I -hmm. did whatever I could to distract from anything that would be, that would arise internally. Yeah. My focus was always external. That was really, I'd say, the beginning of my my Naropa journey was that second day. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to, that's how you jumped into it. (laughs) You had to jump into a seven hours sitting with yourself and analyzing your mind, cleaning, spring cleaning, you know. Wow. It it was quite a um, stark change too, because, you know, coming out of Purdue, uh, Purdue is a massive science school. I mean, my bachelor's is a bachelor of science, you know, Mm -hmm. psychology is a science. We we research methods and research and research and research. Mm -hmm. So coming, you know, and I was an atheist at the time at Purdue, Yeah, coming to Naropa, here I was now mm. in a program that was relating to experience through a totally different language, yeah. through a totally different perspective, you know, different metaphors. Yeah. And, and it really, ooh, those first few weeks, months, year at Naropa, it really tweaked me. I mean, there yeah. were words that they were using, energy, um, that I was mm. like, what the hell is that? Container. <laughs> Container, <laughs> resonance. Yeah. Uh, uh, stillness stillness yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it really was a shock to the system but i believe that actually coming up against that was actually so powerful because i got to see where the intersections of these two worldviews met and yeah. i think that that's actually where it's the most powerful i mean like trungpa said naropa is what happens when east meets west and sparks yeah. will fly and yeah. i think it's really important to name sparks will fly mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not east meets west and it's a beautiful just ah resolution yeah it's and, there's tension mm-hmm. and just so people know trungpa is the founder of naropa university yeah 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 yes and, and and the contemplative program really arose directly out of him. It was one of the first mm-hmm. programs at Naropa and came out of his direct lineage. And it, it, yeah. that was actually one of the things that was so incredible about these Maitri retreats was mm-hmm. I got to sit with professors who directly sat with Trungpa. 
Yeah, you the, know, the that, lineage isn't as long. Yeah. It doesn't seem so far away in yeah. some 1700s. It was fairly recent. Mm-hmm. I would have professors telling me stories of like this time with Trungpa or the time Trungpa said yeah. this, and it made it feel so alive to me. Yeah. You know, it True. wasn't it wasn't hollow readings of like mm-hmm. so some guy somewhere said this. It was, you know, I sat with this man and this is what he offered me. I'm yeah. gonna offer it to you and you can see what it does. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Yeah. You know, you know, Naropa has a tagline, transform yourself, transform the world. Mm-hmm, that's our motto. Yeah, and man, that is a good motto <laughs> because I, I, get you. I actually, I remember it was after the first year I came back mm-hmm. and uh, I was actually upset with my professors because <laughs> I was like, what did you all do? <laughs> like, whatever you offered me, I see the world in a way now. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I was upset is because I saw the world in its fullness. There were things I yeah. saw now yeah. that, you know, when I came to Naropa, I was sunshines and rainbow. It mm. was the world's beautiful and the world's great. And yeah. like, I'm going to study Buddhism and I'm going to be one. And it was like, you know, very absolute kind of thinking. <laughs> but Naropa gave me a chance to actually stop, pause mm. and feel the suffering that's here too. Yeah. There's joy, there's life, there's beauty yeah. and there's pain. And mm-hmm that my experience was constantly trying to run from the pain. Mm. Um, But that when I sat at those meditation retreats, I started seeing like, oh, this is part of it too. Yeah, Um, yes. And my my entire life, you know, for anybody listening to this, I really hope that this resonates in some way because I think it's an experience many of us have but don't know how to describe. Mm -hmm. My entire life, I would have this feeling and it generally would originate in my stomach. Mm. But it was like an emptiness and even putting words on it is going to feel really contrived. Yeah. But I could describe it as despair or dread mm-hmm. or it was almost the feeling as if like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. That yeah. something's not quite right. Yeah. And again, it's a felt experience that putting words to makes really difficult. Mm-hmm. But when I was at my first retreat, that exact feeling popped up. Yeah. That like somatic sensation that like, ooh, something's not right. But what was interesting is that I had a different relationship to it. Mm. And that was, I was actually exactly where I was supposed to be. That this feeling wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad. There was no problem. It was like, (laughs) to use the, the, the Naropa language, I had a container for the experience. Yeah. You had a same feeling, different approach. You had some technique, you had some skill, you had a different lens in which you were using or looking through to channel that emotion or feeling through a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But but the feeling hasn't changed. Feeling hasn't changed. Yeah. No. And 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 it's interesting because it'll still pop up every now and again. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like, hey, old friend. <laughs> yeah. Before it was, ugh, God. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> yeah. 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 What was your experience like at this moment? You're in the classes. You're mm-hmm. you're past your first mm-hmm. retreat. You're kind of doing your curriculum, your education. And you're in the contemplative model. Like, how has the contemplative model shaped your ability to use the psychotherapy that you were being trained to do yeah i'd say the first thing right off the bat is naropa taught me to question everything i mean truly Mm. deconstruct it there were so many ideas and theories and models that i came into naropa with Mm. that when we sat in that circle in those classrooms we deconstructed it. We started from like 
base experience like just yeah. right off the bat gut level in yeah. your world how does this arise i remember when i was doing a psychopathology class mm-hmm. here we are you know we're going to talk about you know abnormal psych is the class everybody loves taking an undergrad right mm-hmm. here we were in psychopathology and i'm thinking oh we're going to get into all the diagnoses and all the disorders and yeah. day one the question was what is mental health mm-hmm. what, like if we're going to define pathology Right off the bat, we have to say, what are we moving people towards? And yeah. that question alone is hard enough to answer. Mm-hmm. And I remember my professor brought a um, a plant. And I, I actually use this in presentations that I do now. But he yeah. brought in a plant that was wilting and it looked like it was dying. And he said, "You know, looking at this plant, what can you tell me about it? And yeah. everybody started answering things like, well, you know, maybe it's not getting enough water. Or it's not getting enough sunlight. Yeah, nutrients in the soil. Yeah. The pot's too small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And after we all gave these types of answers, Mm -hmm. our professor reflected to us, you know, one of the things I noticed nobody in here said was that it's a bad plant. Nobody said it was broken. Mm. Everybody in here believed on some level that if this plant were provided the right environment, the right nutrients, the right caregivers. Yeah that it yeah. would be fine. Nobody doubted its basic plantness. <laughs> yeah. And that lesson right there. I mean, if if I want to talk about the quintessential Naropa experience, that moment, mm-hmm. it was like why do we do that to ourselves? Right? Yeah. What I was offered while I was in the contemplative program was basic goodness, brilliant sanity. And mm. when I say brilliant sanity, What's so cool about Buddhist psychology is we orient from the basic plantness level of the human experience. We orient from like, nothing's (laughs) wrong with you. The Suzuki Roshi quote, you're perfect just the way you are. Uh And you could use a little improvement. (laughs) That's my entire therapeutic approach. And that's what Mm. I gained through the program Mm -hmm. was that I don't have to doubt your inherent dignity, wisdom, and autonomy. It's there. Yeah. So when I sit with somebody, I'm not doing any healing. Uh All I'm reflecting is what's already there so that they can see it. Yeah. 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 Um, That the healing is already in them. There's a natural healing intelligence that Mm -hmm. moves through each one of us. And you can access it at any time if you choose. Definitely. And so I'd say that that right there. Yeah. It sounds like the accessing is where the key lies to the healing or if it's healing at all. almost. It's just looking at it a different way. Yeah. Everything that's external is just information until you internalize it. And the skills to internalize it are where the things come up that Mm -hmm. we are working on. It's, Mm -hmm. it's the internalizing skills that we need to work on. Yeah. 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 And I'm so glad that, I mean, the internalizing skills that you named, uh, Naropa offered me a process and a technique. They didn't Mm -hmm. say, here's, here's the truth. They said, Hey, here's some ideas we have. Here's a process. You engage it. Let's see what you come up with. Mm -hmm. And And it's true to you. mm -hmm. It's a unique trueness because Mm -hmm. all truths aren't true until they're true to your uniqueness. Exactly. And and what I love about Naropa, and this is an experience I had at Naropa that I've never had in any other type of my academic career, Mm -hmm. was I had professors offer me ideas, teachings, and then they said, now you check those out in your own experience. Ooh, yeah. Right? Like, I'm not saying I'm right. You check it out. You tell me if it works for you. Mm-hmm. These were teachers that when I'd ask questions, they'd say, mm, I'm not sure what the answer is. What do you think? Right? They always put it back to me. Yeah. And it was a collaborative <laughs> relationship. It was never a top-down, I'm teacher, you're student. It was, 
hey, we're both students in some way. Yeah. You know, I might have yeah. a bit more uh, experience and knowledge in this one area, but let's co-create. Let's see what we come up yeah. with. Yeah, the, the actual teachers look at you as a wise person yeah. walking into the classroom, mm-hmm. sharing the space. And even the setting of the classroom is very inviting. Like we yeah. all bow in, we set the container, mm-hmm. as we like mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. We all sit in circles. Like some people are sitting on the floor, chilling, <laughs> drinking their tea or yep. coffee or whatever. And some people are sitting in chairs. It's mm-hmm. we, we are invited to show up how we want and receive the information that feels most comfortable to us, which actually allows us to dive deeper into the academics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you named that piece about sitting in chairs in that circle too, because I'd say the first few months in Naropa, I I chose to sit in a chair in those circles simply because that was how I oriented to academics. Mm -hmm. And that was also how I felt safe. Yeah. And I wouldn't have known that at that time, Mm -hmm. but it gave me a like, okay, I can be in this space. And nobody ever judged that or criticized that or told me I needed to show up differently. Yeah. It's like how many classrooms have you walked in with seeing some Zafus and (laughs) meditation cushions on the corner where you're just like, yeah, just grab one of those. Just sit where you need (laughs) to. Just sit where you need to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's really um, a start where you are. I mean, to to borrow Pema's language. There was no expectation that I needed to be a certain way. Yeah. It was that this is where you're at. Now, where are we heading? Yeah. Beautiful. I'd love to explore a little bit. So you wrote, what was it? Your thesis paper? Oh, yeah. So my, my master's paper for so graduate. you wrote a master's paper and apparently it's getting some attention. And <laughs> I, I, I want to explore this a little bit. So yeah. can you tell me about this and what yeah. it's about, what you're writing about, what influenced you to write about that and where is it going? Yeah. I'm so glad you invited me to speak on that because, yeah. um, you know, everything that we've already spoke of really is what led to the creation of mm. this um, paper. My final year of Naropa, you know, we do our internship and we have to write our master's paper. That's like the big culmination paper of yeah. like your work. So I was doing my internship in a court-ordered model. So mm-hmm. um, people who had gotten DUIs, domestic violence, basically any offender type court situation yeah. that the court then said, all right, you need to go to therapy. I was running those groups and doing that individual counseling, okay. but mainly working with addiction. So like I said, um, you know, first day of that psychopathology class, we were asked to, well, what is mental health? Mm-hmm. While I was doing this internship, I started asking the question, what is addiction? And when I looked at the research, when I looked at like what everybody was saying about it, I realized that there were a lot of preconceived notions, a lot of so-called experts just riffing on what they thought addiction was without actually ever defining a lot of these aspects of it. You know, I thought I was going to flip open in a book and find a nice, neat definition of addiction. Mm -hmm. You don't. I thought I was going to flip open a book and find a nice, neat definition of drug. You don't. Mm. A lot of the addiction literature will just use these words without actually ever defining them. And so yeah. so what I did is I, I started reading everything I could about addiction. I started looking at it through my own experience. Yeah. Again, this, this Naropa technique that was offered, I started looking at the ways in which I addict. You know, mm-hmm. I've struggled with alcohol. You know, this story started off with being in a jail cell. Yeah. You totally. know, and that was an alcohol driven thing. Mm-hmm. This story started off with anger. Anger was mm-hmm. an addiction of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I began to look at what what goes on internally. And so the year of study and the year of research led to what I call the sanity of addiction view. Yeah. And this view is what I was finding as I was sitting with others letting go of my, like really sitting in a place of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting with a client as they talk about their experience. I'd let go of everything I thought I knew and just listen. And time and time again, what I heard 
was I heard people trying to escape mm. their pain. I mean, I'd hear stories of abuse, stories of neglect, yeah. stories of trauma, things that these people went through when they were younger that were such painful experiences that the mind yeah. needed in some way to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked at my own experience, this was true for me. There yeah. were so many states, internal states, internal feelings, internal thoughts, internal emotions that I couldn't regulate. Mm-hmm. That they were so painful. And not only that they were so painful, it's nobody ever taught me how to be with them. You know, prior yeah. to coming to Naropa, like I said, I was sunshine and rainbows. And that was only because pain, grief, loneliness, sadness, mm-hmm. shame were so painful to sit with. I yeah. had to move away. Yeah. I had to be like, it's all good, positive thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so what I began to conceptualize is that addiction is not so much a pathology as it is a natural aspect of the human experience that in some way, every one of us can relate to this Mm -hmm. because when I really got down to it, Buddha was the original addictions counselor. Mm. (laughs) He said, if you crave or you grasp or you attach Mm -hmm. to anything outside yourself, you're going to cause yourself more pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that first noble truth of like, you know, our life suffering's inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. And what I it's think facts, yeah, right? Like you know? I'd love to meet the person who's like, Oh no, I've never experienced that. I mean, each one of us yeah. is going to have to go through it. Yeah. But what's interesting about the human experience is that we try to create a world where everything's up. We don't, mm-hmm. there's these things called the eight worldly dharmas. It's um, praise, blame, honor, shame, pleasure, pain, gain, loss. Mm-hmm. Right. And these are, Sounds like yin and yang. Yeah. And all of them are like inseparable from each other. You cannot know pleasure without pain. Mm -hmm. But yet the human experience is constantly trying to create a world where it's all up. I want all the pleasure. I want all the good stuff. Yeah. But I don't want to. Probably having all the pleasure causes more pain. Exactly right. Because then what happens is we create a world where because we've moved so much to the pleasure states. Mm -hmm. That when anything painful starts to arise, we really don't even know what to do with it because all of our, Mm, all of our energy has been moving away from it. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to stop and stay with it. We don't. Yes. And, and I think that that's where Naropa gave me a chance to, you know, when you're sitting in a room with nothing to do except be with yourself, things start (laughs) to arise. Uh Anger would arise. Loneliness would arise. Sensations of discomfort in my body. That thing you didn't know you're holding on to years and years ago will arise. Yeah. And and it's interesting because I would have this experience where I'd be sitting there in meditation and and all these things would be going on that were so intense and so heavy. And then I'd have a moment of, dude, you're just sitting in a room. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like you're just sitting here. (laughs) <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, some of these things that I had spent a lifetime avoiding, like grief, for mm-hmm. example, would arise in my system and I saw it actually wasn't a problem. Yeah. So that's where the sanity of addiction <clears throat> view and what I work with, with clients on is actually how do we tolerate these states that we spend most of our time running from? Cause yeah. if there's nothing to run from, mm-hmm. then there's nothing to medicate away. Yeah. And so with this paper, you actually were published yes i was saying that correctly yeah i was published i was published in the journal of humanistic psychology nice yeah yeah this was you know and it was it was uh, the title of the paper was the sanity of addiction Mm -hmm. um, humanistic and contemplative reflections on the surgeon general's report on addiction 
Nice. So, yeah. So, so what was cool about it is the, uh, the paper I wrote for the end of Naropa was sanity of addiction, the human relationship to substances through a Buddhist lens. Mm. But when, um, but when I wrote the paper for the journal of humanistic psychology, we, um, we shortened it quite a bit Yeah. because, you know, I think the paper I wrote for Naropa was in the 40 page range. The mm-hmm. one, um, for the journal is I think, you know, 10 to 12. Yeah. And I co-authored it with Dr. Shannon Hughes over at CSU. She nice. read it. She read the original paper and she was actually the one who's like, do you want to get this published? And, nice. and in my mind, I was like, is that even, is that even possible? Yeah. <laughs> this is just my exit paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I think it's a great idea, but you do too. Cause there's this thing that can happen um, mm-hmm. to anybody who's been to Boulder or been to Naropa of like, mm-hmm. we can get into a little bit of a bubble here where yeah. I had this thought of like, this seems like a great idea to me that addiction is a sane response to suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. But is the outside world going to actually agree? Yeah. And when the editor of the psychology journal messaged me back and said they were excited to publish it, mm. I was I was like, you know, I got the peer review. I received the validation of the outside academic community of like, yes. hey, you know what? This is actually a great yeah. idea. Confirming all the work and research that you have yeah. been doing, the the sitting with yourself, mm-hmm. the self analyzing, the research, the interests. Yeah, I'm glad you following. named. I'm glad you named <laughs> that self analyzing piece because you know uh, when medical doctors go to school, they get to practice their skills on a cadaver. Yeah. Uh, when psychotherapists go to school, we are the cadavers. <laughs> we yeah. we poke and prod at ourselves. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. we we turn it up, we hold it out, we move it through. It's 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 a really uncomfortable process. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes think that uh, people interested in psychotherapy have to have a little bit of masochism in them. Something <laughs> a little yeah. bit of like. Yeah. Mm, like I, I want to get into the grossness. Um, Interesting. But yeah, so the, the paper paper in the, the journal became a response to um, the Surgeon General's report. That's how we mm. framed the conversation yeah. so that it could really be targeted. The Surgeon General report in 2016 came out and said that addiction is a disease, which is phenomenal. F- and I, I really do want to name this. Them naming it as a disease is huge in destigmatizing addiction. Um, the, yeah. the idea of addiction being a moral failing, yeah. I think causes a lot of harm because it comes from a place of harshness, right? Yeah. It really lacks compassion. The idea that addiction is a disease, I think integrates compassion, but actually mm. leaves out some of the insight that we have from some of our research. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we, they're like almost there. Yeah. Almost there. And actually this is, this is another, Progress. this is another Naropa skill that I gained through my experience um, that I think really lends myself to this conversation is that the two predominant cultural narratives we have right now is that addiction is on one side, a moral failing that you have a choice and you should just choose not to do addiction. Yeah. And then on the other side, we have like what the surgeon general said that it's a disease state that I think has compassion, but yeah, there are two polarities and what me as a Naropa trained therapist can do is I can hold the paradox. I can actually hold that it's both. Yeah. That, and and this is how I'll, I'll explain this is that in every moment you have a choice mm-hmm. and you have a choice to continue doing the unconscious habitual habits and strategies you've done your whole life that yeah. have kept you safe or to move into a new place. Mm-hmm. And right. And that's prefrontal kind of thinking. That's all top brain. Yeah. And so the moral model is right in some ways. We do have a choice. Mm -hmm. But what we need to recognize with addiction or with any habitual pattern, right, with any cycle of samsara, we have to recognize that that choice necessitates 
going into the darkest, most terrifying places of our soul. Yeah. Right. It's not just, Mm-mm. hey, choose not to do that opiate. It's, hey, yeah. you're not going to do that. And that means we're going to have to relate with the pain that's lived in you your whole life. Yeah. That you've been avoiding your whole life. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy decision. Mm-hmm. So what I think my model does is it integrates both wisdom and compassion. Yeah. The knowledge of, yeah, you have a choice and the compassion of like, oh, homie, this is going to be a hard choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of holding paradox sounds really nice because you're not so concrete ideaed into yeah. something. You can be fluid and yeah. everyone is unique. And sometimes yeah. they might fit over there or over here or somewhere yeah. in the middle and you get to analyze that you get to experience that and i I just want to name too that like i think you know this conversation of moral failing uh disease state Mm -hmm. this is a conversation we've been having forever is it free will or is it determinism yeah and as a buddhist and i don't even often identify in that way but through my buddhist training yeah i can hold that it's both (laughs) we have a lower brain that's Mm -hmm. very determinant deterministic Mm. and an upper brain that's loves choice yeah wants to be something different (laughs) it's so great so uh we only got a couple minutes left but i did want to touch with no wax society so this is something that i don't even want to say it i'll let you say (laughs) it so we got a couple minutes just let us know what you're doing now so moving forward you're doing some really good work i want to highlight this so yeah so i'll just name that the uh, sanity of addiction i'm i'm presenting 50 minute talk at the 11th annual conference of humanistic psychology that's going to be at mm. Nalanda at Naropa's campus in March. Awesome. Yeah. And it's a uh, sanity. 2018. Of a, yep. 2018. Yep. A sanity of addiction, a perspective born of wisdom and compassion. So that's exciting. Beautiful. The NOAC society though, this is a 501c3 that me and actually like seven other graduates mm-hmm. of Naropa started. And it's a beautiful organization because you can see it so born out of what yeah. Naropa offered us. Yeah. The mission of the NOAC Society is to educate and inform and support individuals and communities mm-hmm. in coming into safe and informed relationships with themselves, yes. others, and the world we live in mm. and the substances that we choose to engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, this work really arose out of kind of a harm reduction place similar to like dance safe or zendo project yeah and dance safe is a community of people who make sure when you're at a music festival a a rave an event something that may have substances there they're there to hold space Mm -hmm. as a physical space a mental space and they can test your substance is that correct yeah yeah no i mean you nailed it I think DanceSafe and and like Zendo Project are Mm -hmm. organizations that come from the standpoint of the drug war has not worked. (laughs) Yeah, we've been we've been having this war on drugs for God knows how long, Mm -hmm. and it hasn't changed use. Actually, rates are climbing at an alarming rate. Mm. The number one cause of deaths in this country currently is opiates, and eighty percent of those people started on prescription opiates. So what we're doing is we're reframing the conversation of Mm -hmm. we know people are going to use, how do we give them safe information, good skills so that like, if you're going to make this decision, it's informed. Yes. Um, And so this is where NOAC society, you know, out of my like sanity of addiction ideas Mm -hmm. and then the group think of how to relate with these things, we... We came up with this idea of refining relationship. The drugs themselves mm. are not good or bad, and not, and not even just drugs, but anything outside of yourself that yeah. you might use to regulate with mm-hmm. has the potential to cause you harm. 
So we began to say, okay, as an organization, let's refine relationship. Um, We're connected to everything. We're in relationship with everything, but most of us don't know how to do it. Yeah. And this could actually be a relationship with a person too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's it's beyond substances. It can be a relationship with a person, with your family, anything like that. I'll go ahead and name it anything that you love. Anything that you care about, anything that brings you joy has Mm -hmm. the potential to become something that hurts you. Mm. And what I mean by that is that every time I look into my wife's eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been together eight years. There's no person I love more than my wife. Every time I look into her eyes, there's a small part of me that has to recognize one day I'm going to have to let her go. There's a sadness that comes with how much I love her. Yeah, immortality. Right. And I name that not to be dark, but to name the truth of my Mm -hmm. experience that it's both. And so this is where, you know, the relationship to drugs is the same exact thing. The relationship to maybe you love running and working out. I've Mm -hmm. worked with clients who have been in a place where they work out way too much. And now that's causing them harm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like what can cause you harm? What can cause you happiness? And and what's beautiful about the Noex Society, too, is we're approaching it from an open source. Yeah. All these skills, they're available to everybody. Nobody owns them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be grassroots, peer support models of healing that yes. we don't need to wait on anybody outside of ourselves to save us. We can do it for each other. Yeah. And in this country where healthcare is starting to be cut, where people don't know where they're getting the funding for medication, psycho mm-hmm. farms, mm-hmm. we don't need to wait on them. Yeah. We can yeah. do it for each other. Yeah. Wow. Oh. This is, this is all beautiful information. <laughs> yeah. um, that is our time for now. Yeah. But I really appreciate you speaking with us today. You're just like a ball of light. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're you're actually like a really good friend of mine. Yeah. And, and it's just such a pleasure to hear you speak about your passions yeah. and your goals. And I can't wait to see you break out into the future yeah. and, and just do this amazing work. And I just see so many good things coming out of it. So thank you for speaking with us today on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love talking about this because it's, it's my life and it's my passion. Mm-hmm. Naropa doesn't just give you something to talk about out there you have to walk the walk yeah. and and it becomes your life yes yeah awesome thank you <laughs> thank you so i'd like to thank lauren siavaco today for speaking with us on the podcast uh, he is a naropa graduate of the contemplative psychotherapy program on behalf of the naropa community thank you for listening to mindful you the official podcast of naropa university Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.